Mr. Reese, what is the hardest part about aging now that you're 90 years old? 90-year-olds have never looked better. What's the hardest part for you? The hardest part is the loss of other people, of contemporaries, of old friends, of family members. Mm. The hardest part is getting used to that, um, dealing with it, feeling um, less... Uh, less a part of at least one community that you've had, which is your contemporary community. Do you, um, in terms of, does it come real fast when you're at a certain age, whether it's different when you were 70 versus 80 and now 90, and it seems more rapid? I would say yes, Armstrong. You know, I wrote something <clears throat> last year when I was turning 90. I think I sent it to you. And the title was, Is 90 the New 80? No, it's really 90. <laughs> it really turns out to be different as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm still very active. One of the best parts of my activity is that I'm active with some young people. I, I participate in a class, an intergenerational university class with psychology and neuroscience students. And um, I also have a couple of students who are still undergraduates who call me every week on Zoom and we have a chat. I don't give them advice unless they ask for it. And even if they ask for it, I'm pretty circumspect about advice. I'll tell them about experience if it's relevant. Uh, but I like to listen to them and hear what they're thinking. And I like to be able to talk to them on what feels kind of like a level playing field, that we can talk about some things together uh, and not as an old person and a young person necessarily, but as two human beings. That really is part of what keeps me going. You know, what's fascinating is that your husband is also alive. He's older than you. What is it that frustrates you the most in the terms of the things that you realize, I just can't do this anymore. I'm old. Yeah, and we're very lucky. We know that we're very fortunate. He's 92. I think one of the things that we're so lucky about is that we both have a real sense of humor. And we can joke even about our aging sometimes. Uh, we can joke about the things that we can't do sometimes. Sometimes it's not so funny, but we try to find the humor and we can still talk together. We're very fortunate. We recognize that. Um, how, how, much of your, how much of your time when you talk about the loss of your friends and the loneliness of that, how much time do you spend thinking about your own death or the death of your husband, uh, feeling as though it's just a matter of time? Well, a good portion. I mean, I think about, I think about, I try to be fairly objective 
uh, and think about the changes that I'm going through. Um, taking this course with a wonderful professor who's teaching it to the kids and to us. There's a bunch of old people in the course with them. Uh, is helpful because I get to look at this uh, as part of life's process. I've read a lot of things myself over the years. Uh, I think about stages that one goes through that are natural, that are normal, that if you still have your mental faculties, um, you can kind of analyze as you go and think about the changes in a way that's almost objective. Um, you're also very aware of close friends who are no longer really people you can keep in touch with in any meaningful way. It may mean something for them to hear your voice or to know that you're still thinking of them. I don't know, because they're no longer responsive. You know, Dr. Donahue, <laughs> at what age does your face and physical body rapidly change the most? Well, the first thing is it's a great honor to share the dias with Thelma here. I, I, I'm very stirred yeah. by some of the things that she that she said. You know, there the the issue of aging is now uh, itself a subject, as I know you know, Armstrong, of great thought. And it is there are there's really new thinking about aging, which is founded in hard molecular biology. So these aren't kind of soft aphorisms. But if you actually look at the aging process, it appears that the calculus of aging can be very much adjusted by, if you will, patient-linked features. Let me just point out a couple of things that uh, Dr. Reese uh, uh, kind of brings to the fore. Uh, it is so important that we be communal organizations. Notice that, uh, they, that Dr. Reese connects with people outside the immediate purview of her home. So she's talking about classes. She's talking about connections with friends. It turns out there's two large papers from 2014 that pointed out how the central nervous system needs to be continuously stimulated. That means new things. If you're sitting in front of the television watching reruns of Gunsmoke, you're a petri dish for cognitive decay. If you just open the front door and walk out into the sidewalk, you hear the neighbor's dog barking. You notice there's a new car as your neighbor, Mrs. Franklin, got a new car. All that information perks up the central nervous system. Um, you notice also that uh, Thelma is with her husband. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, it, it is, uh, it is, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that we do so much better if we can preserve our relationships, honor them, incubate them, and have them extend over the span of our lives as Thelma has been able to do. And the last thought I, I have on this is as follows. I would like that we, Armstrong, people like you and me, make amendments in our own domain of conduct so as to populate the world in our 90s. Thelma is a treasure 
She has seen, her generation has seen the world change as much as any other. So she says that she doesn't like to give the young people with whom she speaks advice, but her presence itself is a kind of, uh, uh, a kind of homily. People look at her, I, 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 I suspect, the young people look at her and think, there's so much there to learn how to conduct yourself, how to speak, what choices to make. There was a book in the background behind uh, Thelma's uh, left shoulder. She's reading. So we don't give up. We don't sort of, it, it is really important that we continue that process of honoring the body. Let me give her, let me give Dr. Reese a chance to yes. respond. What is it that keeps you and Harvey alive? I know interviews like this is a joy for you and we love having you in our living rooms. You're just wonderful personality and spirit. It's an honor too for me to be here with you, doctor, because I, I listened earlier and I think everything you've said is so important, except one thing, don't sit and watch Gunsmoke. Perry Mason, yes, Gunsmoke, no. So, Anyway, it's not just my feeling about guns, but I love Perry Mason. I've just gone through the whole nine seasons. So it's okay, the whole nine years, not just seasons. How, how anyway. difficult, what, what changed drastically for you when you turned 90 compared to 89, 88, 76? What just changed? Yeah. I. I Armstrong, I now know, I I call it SO, seriously old. It makes a difference. You, you know, Armstrong, I've been involved in aging well for years. I wrote some of the books. Bobby and I wrote our first book about the new senior woman when not many people were writing those books. Right. And it's not that long ago. It, just has been moving so fast. This cohort has been growing so fast, thanks to all the medical advancements and all the technology. So there are more of us, and there are there's a whole industry about aging well, which is fascinating. So I wrote those books, and now they seem kind of passe almost, because now, I'm at a new stage, and it's being old. It's not just growing old, it's being old. And that is different. And you are regarded in a different way. Uh, the one correction that I made of the wonderful Haitian American girl I speak to every week, who is pre-med, and I hope she will be a doctor because she'll be an extraordinary one, but the other day she said to me, oh, Thelma, I love babies. I love babies and old people because they're all so cute. And I said, Kat, don't you dare call me cute in the way a baby is cute. Well, listen. She, let, said, how about, she said, how about stunning? <laughs> well, listen, it's a joy. Having you on, Dr. Reese, you know you're one of my favorites on the planet. So I've known you for what, 40 years, 30 years? It's been a very long time. I've, I've known you since I was two years old. And Dr. Donahue, 
It's always a pleasure. Carl Borden is a composer, producer, engineer, recording artist, spreading love and peace through music. Pastor Darrell Grant, senior pastor, Eagles Nest Church, and Stein Hospice Organization. You know, every life has a story. Um, Dr. Gant, tell us your story in the miracle of being thankful. Okay. Well, uh, I just want to start off by saying on June 18th, this year, on Father's Day, uh, we were in a service. We had a guest speaker and uh, the praise and worship had just uh, ended and I was getting ready to introduce the speaker and uh, I stopped breathing. I literally, I said, God is good. God is good. And after the sec second God is good, I stopped breathing. <laughs> and you stopped and breathing was, for how long? Uh, I was out for over 20 minutes. Wow. Without a pause. Without a pause? Yes. Without a pause. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you how good God is. We had a nurse practitioner who um, uh, had that Sunday off. And prior, she had to work seven weeks in a row. But she had that particular Sunday off. And she was there, and they, she began to do compressions on me. Uh, but in other words, what I'm saying is, I'm so grateful to God that God knew what was going to happen. And he had already put people in place to assist me. Ah, God is good. What, what did the doctors diagnose as the problem? Uh, heart failure. Wow. Heart failure. Heart failure. Yeah. Carl Borden, your story. Well, my story, um, in 2018, I was I was um, I was trying on a shirt and I I fit the week before, but for some reason I couldn't fit it today, that day, and I kept trying to button it. I went to the doctor and they said go straight to the hospital, and that's when I found out that I had kidney failure. And that was in 2018. I just had a daughter in 2016, so it was a very very crazy time for me. So, so. so um... I, so that's that's fascinating. Um, when the body shifts like that, there's a sign that something's wrong. Yes. Yeah. You know, it came all of a sudden, and um, I, I had no idea that that would be what it was. You know, and it it just makes it makes you think about life differently. And how did you have to adjust your diet, your physical routine as a result of that? And and what has changed since that um, that day? Well, a lot. Um, the one thing I was doing, I was drinking a lot of water and things like that, and that's one thing I had to change because, because when you're when you're on, on dialysis and you're and you're dealing with kidney failure, um, you have a lot of fluid restrictions because you can't rid of, can't get rid of all the fluid, so um, you have to be very strict on how much you drink, your salt intake, and different things like that, and just just watching you know the things I eat a whole lot closer now, you know, and. Um, it really changes a lot of things, but it doesn't stop you. You know, it, it just, it just, you have to do things differently, but you still do. You know, Dr. Pastor again, I'm very curious as to when you were unconscious, what you experienced during that time 
you were there was nothing but darkness. Yeah, um, actually, you know, in Thessalonians, where it talks about where uh, Paul talks about uh, saints that have died in Christ, where he says, "I would not have you ignorant, brethren, but them that has gone before, they are asleep," and that's exactly uh, what it was like. Uh, as a matter of fact. Um, when I woke up, I was in the hospital and there were literally nothing wrong with me uh, when it happened. I felt fine. Um, I didn't have a cold. I didn't have any problem whatsoever. And it had happened. But uh, absolutely, it was as if I was asleep. And when I woke up, I asked my daughter, I said, well, what am I doing in the hospital? And uh, I said, was I here a couple of days? She said, Dad, you've been in ICU for over two weeks. Two and, weeks? Uh, yeah. Two weeks? Yeah. 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 They, the doctors are amazed because they said uh, you should be brain dead. You know, you know, you're a pastor. You're a man of faith. You believe in miracles. But for even you... Um, to have been at ICU for two weeks, how did your perspective and your further appreciation from not only from having talked about miracles as a pastor, but being a one to have received and been a part of a miracle? Listen, um, Dr. Aaron, I tell you what, <laughs> as I laid in the bed, I said, God, why did you bring me back? And he said, well, he said, because I love you. And I said, Lord, okay. And for whatever reason, I asked him, I said, well, what do you want me to tell the, uh, tell the people? He said, tell them what I told you. Tell them that I love them. And I said, oh, my God. And so it made me realize that that. God has our life in his hands. You know, in the book of James, where it talks about, say not three months from now, we gonna do this, we gonna do that. Uh, such boasting is wrong, but what we should say is if the Lord will, we will do this and we will do that. That is a, literally, I live that way now. How, how long because, were you in the hospital before you were released? I was there for a month. A month? Yes, sir. You know, when you were speaking yes. in the beginning, you said 20 minutes, I assume, when the nurse practitioner was there, you got up and walked away. But that is no. not the case. No. No, 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 no. So, Carl. No, they. <laughs> Carl, what is it like when you, sometimes you feel you're facing the, that the end is imminent, and all of a sudden you've been given a new leash on life, and you've just got to make change. Is there is there a part of your conscience that has changed forever? Is this a part of you? I'm not hearing him. Can't uh, get him. I had an album released in 2017 called Breathe before I got sick. And in 2018, when I got sick, it just... I didn't know if I was going to be able to, to, to do music as I was before. 
So when I finally got myself together and came out with the new album in 2019, um, I called it Morning Embrace because I wanted people to know that, you know, you're not, you don't have a lot of, you know, you, make, you don't know how many more mornings you have, so you need to embrace every morning that you do have. And um, ever since then, the music that I've done has been just a reflection of what I've been dealing with. So true. You know, Pastor, you've got this glow, you've got this fire, this enthusiasm, <laughs> this zest for life about oh, you. Absolutely. And how long ago was this? Wow. Um, well, it was on Father's Day, June 18th. Of this I year? Yes. Oh, my God, and this got, year? This year. I heard and that. I, but I, it's as if you got a... You got a new purpose in life. You got a new song. You got a you got a new walk. You, you got a new talk. You know, I'm a, I'm oh, a believer hey, too. Well, hey, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because number one, I told God, I said, you know what, God, we think that we in charge. We ain't in charge of nothing. God holds our very life in his hands. And every day is a gift. And and so I don't I, I don't worry about anything at all whatsoever because God loves me. I don't worry about anything because God loves you. And uh I'm telling you, uh it's a lot of people need a lot of love in this world with what's going on. And that's what I appreciate about appreciate about what you do for telling the truth about what's going on politically and so forth. And something Carl said that he said he uh, he did a song. And that reminds me, I did a song also. Uh, October 1999, I did a single called Never Give Up, Don't Stop, Don't Quit. Well, I didn't realize that uh, when I was in rehab, uh, I was playing that song and, and they got a wind of it. So every morning they would come get me at rehab they would uh, put that song on and start singing, never give up, don't stop, don't quit. You know, I can only I can only imagine, you know, the lives that you've <laughs> impact and brought to God and believers. Because there's one thing to talk about the gospel and to preach the gospel. It's another thing when the miracle is happening to you yes, and you, he gives you a new song, he gives yes, you sir. a new purpose, gives you a new message. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like they said, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I am so grateful, first of all, to God and to my family, which was there right with me. As a matter of fact, uh, the church had did a prayer vigil, and they said the whole city came out mm. to pray for me. And then when I talked to Dr. Pat Bailey, uh, Dr. Pat Bailey, um, she shared with me that Mother Tutu over in South Africa, they had did a 24-hour vigil for me. Uh, you know, people were praying for me all over the, the country, and I, I told God, I, I didn't know that many people cared like that. And so what it showed me that there's power in prayer. You know, it's not there's just that. It's not just that. None of us, and Carl, you can attest to this, know what we're coming to in life, whether it's a heart attack, a stroke, a diagnosis with cancer, a, a car, whatever. We never know what we're coming to. But we hope that God shows us the same grace and mercy 
that he showed both of us that he gives us a chance to to live again, yeah. you know, because even though all of us are dying trying to get to heaven, some people are going to say, not just yet, Lord. I want to look. Give me a few more days. Give me a few more hours. We get that, brothers. I appreciate your story at Thanksgiving. You have made my day because there is such a thing as miracles that happen every day. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, WGLA 24-7, Dr. Donahue, Dr. Reese, and all the great people here. I'm Armstrong Williams. Happy holiday. for listening to this week's episode.